Take a walk around your neighborhood. Assuming there are some plants, they're probably looking pretty ripe these days. Fruits and vegetables are filling out on trees and vines. If you're working a garden, you might have some questions about what's happening with some of your plants. Lynn Kunzman is back with us from Jackson County Master Gardeners for a live edition of Garden for Life. Lynn, welcome. Hi. Hi. Lynn is Oregon Statewide Master Gardener of the Year, recently named, and you can pick her brain with your emails to jx at jeffnet.org. And we have a couple of emails from uh, from previous uh, entreaties to people. Oh, yeah, the emails again, jx at jeffnet.org. This one from uh, Carrie and Flavia, who uh, are asking about uh, invasive plants. They say, we just hosted a friend who told us we had Mexican feather grass in our garden. She told us it was highly invasive and problematic. We thought we had only purchased native drought-tolerant plants. Is there something native that might have been misidentified? Is If we goofed, is there a good alternative? Ask Carrie and Flavia. Yeah, and I'm not sure where Flavia is. I don't, um, don't know where that's located. Um no, Flavia's a name, Perry and Flavia, sorry. Oh, oh, I I don't know where she is. I guess she's local here in the Valley, I'm hoping. And if that is the case, then she should probably be uh, taking out the Mexican, yes, the Mexican grass is um, invasive, and planting things like Romer's fescue or California fescue, um, blue wild rye. I mean, we have a bunch of native bunch grasses that could fill the bill. I would say if she's looking for an, an ornamental type um, grass, um, um, then California fescue is probably her best bet. It doesn't mind a dry site, and it's pretty ornamental. And um, if she has a damper site that gets regular water, then I would recommend Descampsia um, Cepitosa, uh, which is a tufted hair grass, which is very beautiful. Um, and those are native plants, and our native skippers can utilize those. They can they can lay their eggs in them over winter in those bunches. Um, so yeah, there are native grasses that can take the place. Unfortunately, the nurse the nurseries are, you know, they sell what looks good to people, and and m- most nursery folks don't know the difference between a native or a non-native or an invasive and. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the tufted hair grass. So this is not the kind of stuff you're going to be walking on, but it's it's a it's it's pretty to look yeah, at. No, no. Yeah, and no, and neither is the Mexican um, grass that mm-hmm. she that she planted. Um, it's it's they're bunch grasses, and so they're meant to be tall and wavy. And the, and the Mexican grass is very pretty, and it's why the nurseries sell it because people see it and they go, "Oh yeah, I need to put you know grasses in my garden for the butterflies." But that's a very bad thing to be putting in here because it gets it gets away and um, it's not it's not a native grass. So um, yes, sorry about that. But the nurseries will sell those things and um, they're not going to stop until the market goes away. So you've got to demand native and make them and make them grow and sell the native plants. I might be getting above your pay grade here. Uh, the uh, are there are there discussions between Entities like master gardeners and garden groups with nurseries about about the appropriateness of of native versus non-native. Not not officially. I mean, what what I do is I encourage people when they go to the nursery to take the name of the native plant they want, <laughs> this scientific name, not just ask for a grass. You ask for you know Festuca californica or Festuca romeri or whatever that native grass is know the name of the scientific name of the plant you're looking for. If they don't carry it, turn around and walk away. 
uh, that gives them a, a very strong message that they need to start carrying some of the things that will sell. The, the problem is that most people, aren't, it's not even on anybody's radar. You know, 99% of the population doesn't even understand that what they're buying is a non-native invasive species or a non-native non-productive species, even if it doesn't get out in the environment. It's non-productive for food webs. Um, they just, it's not, people aren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you don't know the question to ask, then you're not, you're, you're going to take whatever the nursery is offering. Yeah, I hear you on the on the Latin names because uh, having um, started using that app that identifies plants, I realize yeah. how many different colloquial names there can be for one one Latin dozens. name, and it gets like six or you know dozens. You're saying dozens, and you you go in and ask for bluebells, you could get fifteen different plants from any given nursery. Mm -hmm. You know, don't you never do that. You always ask for the scientific name, make sure it's a local native, and ask for that, and really demand that. Um, and there are nurseries around here who, who sell those that know exactly what those plants are. Uh, you know, a Plant Oregon is a native plant nursery. Our nursery out at SoRec is a native plant nursery. We're not going to be selling you something that's, that's not a native plant for North America. And um, more specifically, usually for locally here in Oregon, right in the Rogue Valley. So most of the plants we grow are local native plants. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, we're talking to Lynn Kunzman once again on a live edition of Garden for Life, so plenty of time to get questions in to jx at jeffnet.org. If we don't get them in before the end of this broadcast, we'll stick them in the next Garden for Life, jx mm -hmm. at jeffnet.org. Lynn, uh, talk about the, before you became a native plant evangelist. I mean, when you in the early days of your gardening, were you kind of in the dark about the value of them? I, it, well, once again, it wasn't even on my radar. I went to the nursery and I bought things on impulse because they looked good to me. It, I wasn't taking into account what's the benefit to the local ecosystem and the local insect population, the local food web uh, that depends on native vegetation. It was completely off my radar. And so I, I gardened for the first 65 years of my life, well, whatever, uh, <laughs> as, as most people do, uh, just going in and buying what was eye candy to me, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which is a pretty worthless way of, of going about uh, uh, putting plants into a landscape. So now I, I'm much more careful. It's that old thing about, you know, we no longer pour the motor oil down the storm drains. Oh, we, we know now. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know now not to do that. And, and now I know I, I don't go to the nursery and just go, ooh, I love the look of that plant. I'm just going to take it home and stick it in my yard. Oh man, yeah, 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 you know how to make me wince. That. Yeah, not just the motor oil. We had oh. the, yeah, a whole tank of diesel went down the drain with us once, but that's oh, another yeah. story for another day. Right. I mean, and it, and once again, it wasn't on our radar that we could be doing damage. You know, down mm. down the line, down street. Uh, it's people aren't doing this intentionally. It's just um, that they they they're not aware. They're not educated. Um, they don't know which questions to ask, mm -hmm. and so. Um, it's, it's, you know, if you can arm yourself with the information about a native plant that you want or what, what native plant would work in a place in your yard and then go to the nursery and demand that. <laughs> and only then, that. Yeah. Don't take the substitute. And only that. And not, and not take something from Asia or Africa or, you know, the Mediterranean. 
don't don't do that. Um, you know, nurseries are going to tell you lavender is a great plant for bees. Well, it is for European honeybees and some of our generalist bumblebees, but it really doesn't provide uh, any kind of any kind of um, host hosting for butterflies or um, uh, resources for our native bees. So, you know, those those are things that that's a steep learning curve for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, I'm hoping to get people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're working at it. Uh, yeah, you're yeah, definitely the evangelist ranting. for native plants. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to be ranting this afternoon too. Oh, I that's right. Uh, so you have afternoon. something coming yeah. up at Extension uh, this afternoon at five thirty. Yeah, five thirty to seven thirty tonight. I'm doing a thing on beneficial insects. Um, yeah, to kind of get get that on people's radar. You know, don't don't kill the bugs that you see in your yard. If you don't recognize them, don't just run and get the spray. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing a big a big talk on the, the beneficial insects and, and plants that you can plant to bring them into your yard. And uh, is that uh, physically at the, out at the SOREC, Southern Oregon Research and Extension Center? It is, Center? yeah. Or you can go, uh, you can register through their, um, the SOREC site, you can, um, or the Jackson County Master Gardener site. You can register for a Zoom link. Um so you can either come in person or um, it's going to be a hybrid Zoom and in-person deal. Okay. I'll see if I can find that and add it to what we yeah. have up for uh, for uh, Garden for Life on the web for today. Still mm-hmm. some time to get mm-hmm. some uh, some messages into Lynn at jx at jeffnet.org. Uh, Michelle um, emailed recently to say I came in late to your show this morning. I'm wondering if you could tell me what might make my tomatoes Rather tasteless and slightly watery. I grow them every year in the same bed, fertilize deeply in the spring, but this year they're they're coming in abundantly, but not tasting like they're coming off the vine. I water them with a drip mm. hose, not up against the plant base for 12 minutes, two to three times a week, depending on how hot it is outside. And Michelle says, thanks for your insights. Yeah, I mean, you might, it might be that they're getting too much water. I don't know what the conditions are in her beds, and, and uh, it, I would stick maybe a soil um, uh, moisture meter down and see if you're getting a really wet seeding. If, because if they're taking up too much water, you're going to get a less flavorful fruit. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes dry land plantings, um, because the roots are deeper and the plants are having to work harder, the, the fruit may be a little smaller but less watery, and then you get more flavor concentrated. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure why would be getting tasteless tomatoes, but um, also it depends on the variety she's growing. Uh, you know, different varieties. If she's growing this, the, a different one than she has in the past, that might have an effect on the flavor, but um, I would check the water uh, mm-hmm. content of the soil. Not maybe overwatering. All right, so it might not be so, so much that the, the too much water is applied, but so much water stays because of the of the kind of soil. Right, if her if her soil is real retains you know retains a lot of water, and then the things are kind of sitting in real wet sites, they're going to tend to have uh, more watery fruit, um, which you know you might want with a watermelon or something like that, but maybe not so much with your tomatoes. I, I don't know. That's just speculation. I mean, I'm trying to throw out the ideas I can come up with off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my tomatoes are doing really well. And I would recommend, too, that she not grow them in the same bed every year. I was wondering that's about that a, part. Yeah, we talked about yeah, that that's, last time. She right? needs to rotate those crops because it's kind of a recipe for inviting things that like tomatoes <laughs> mm-hmm. 
to to get in that bed and be problematic in future years. So if she can rotate or if she can plant a winter cover crop in that bed so that she has something besides tomatoes growing there uh, in between um, growing seasons. Uh, she needs, yeah, she needs to kind of look at that too. All right. Uh, so uh, while we're on tomatoes, uh, there are other things that can make tomatoes go weird on you this time of year? Well, uh, you know, the really high temperatures, uh, if, if we get up over like 95, they're going to kind of stop setting fruit because everything kind of shuts down. Um, but my, I don't know, this summer I've had, um, things have been going really well with our tomatoes in our garden. Um, and we haven't had such extreme temperatures that the plants kind of stop. Um, but, you know, if we do start hitting those triple-digit days, people can expect for fruit set to slow down. Um, I haven't seen, in my garden anyway, I haven't seen much attacks from things like hornworms or, um, you know, blights and those kinds of things. Um, so uh, we're having a good tomato year. <laughs> yeah, well, we are too. I've already and, started canning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, although they're they're still green at my place, but uh, but they're they're getting right. big. And and I, I thought they were they got arrested development during the the hottest days, but they seem to have rebounded right. from that. Now uh, we had talked in the past about faking pollination by whacking tomato vines together gently, of course, not enough to whack the tomatoes. Yeah, off, you but... just shake the vine. I you know if you've got them in cages, you can just go by and shake the cage. You know, you don't have to. And yeah, you just. Just shake the plant, and because they are buzz pollinated, uh-huh. that's you know that 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 solanaceae uh, family, the nightshade family, they are buzz pollinated usually by bumblebees. So if you don't have a good population of bumblebees in your yard, um, it's it's uh, probably a good idea to shake your tomato vines. Now, if you have shake just one there. vine, I mean, are you are you achieving anything? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, they they the flowers pollinate themselves, but the, but the pollen has to be busted loose by a bee vibrating its wings, uh-huh. and so uh, and and then it falls on the stigma of that flower and it and it pollinates. But um, yeah, no, you're you, yeah, all you have to do is shake it so that the pollen is released from the anthers and gets to the stigma. Okay, I uh, I don't see any new emails here. I, I regard I, I uh, urge people once again if you want to get uh, questions into an, the next edition of Garden for Life, uh, send it in anyway at jx at jeffnet.org. I, I take them in, I print them up, and I have them in front of me before the next time we talk to Lynn, which will be soon. Lynn Kunzman is with Jackson County Master Gardeners and, we like to say, Oregon Statewide Master Gardener of the Year. Uh, that class on attracting and protecting beneficial insects is tonight at 5.30 at Southern Oregon Regional uh, Research and Extension Center, SORAC, also online. We'll provide a link to that, uh, assuming I can find it. Lynn, thanks so much for joining us once again on the Jefferson Exchange. My pleasure. Okay, talk to you soon.